Sundays already we've kicked off the December series which is the gift uh, the fantastic message uh, on Saturday uh, we've got another huge one coming up for you this Saturday in fact this December series very very powerful because I mean how can you not talk about the gift of Jesus Christ and it not be a powerful message so it's a very powerful series this week but this month I should say but what we've done is because of the uh, number of people quite frankly who actually responded to our you asked for it survey uh, we've actually extended it into the two first two Wednesdays of December. Uh, so tonight is the seventh now. We actually had to create eight messages out of all of the uh, questions that, w- that we were being asked. Uh, and then next week, Pastor Philip is going to be wrapping up the series uh, with a message entitled Insecurities. Insecurities. Uh, so if you have insecurities of any kind, uh, and obviously you're not going to admit it because you may have insecurities about admitting the fact you have insecurities, uh, but we all have them in one shape or another. So it's going to be a very powerful message for you next week. I would urge you uh, to come back for that, okay? Uh, tonight, though, I'm talking about a topic which I am 100% confident is applicable to 100% of the people in this room, and that is the topic of dealing with life challenges, Dealing with life challenges. Now, there's no surprise, frankly, for any of the things that we've been asked to preach about and to talk about during this series. And again, the same applies to this. No surprise whatsoever. Why? Well, because everybody always has challenges going on. There are challenges, uh, obviously, are seasonal things. It's quite safe to say 2016 has been a pretty challenging year, uh, one way or another, for a lot of people uh, in this church family, okay? Now, if by some chance you have never had any life challenges whatsoever up until this point, please feel free to leave now. Or, my advice is if that does apply to you, stay, take notes, because you've got a whole lot of trouble coming your way. Okay, and I'm not being, you know, pessimistic about this. It sounds like a bit of a downer subject, but it's a, it's a topic which is absolutely real. And it's one that it's important to know how to deal with. Because let's face it, when things are going really well, you don't need that much help. Amen? It's when things are not going so well that we have to turn somewhere. So I'm going to give you, hopefully, some practical points again tonight that you can take away, which are actually going to help you uh, through any situations that you have. Now, having challenges, and everybody having challenges, that's not just my opinion. That's the testimony of every single person here. And again, it doesn't sound like a very very positive statement, I should say. But let me make it more positive for you. I am positive that 100% of people in this room have got or have had life challenges. Positive. Is that positive enough for you? I'm absolutely convinced of it. 
So you might be sitting there and wondering why I'm starting off in such a, a downbeat fashion, recognising the negatives in life. And as I said, well, you know, I'm speaking reality, and sometimes reality can be a little bit tough. But we need to talk about the things which are happening, the things that we need help with, in order that we can actually teach you and show you how we can help you, how to go about actually dealing with the challenges in your life. So the important thing is this. If we live in denial of the fact that we are going to face challenges, or even that we're already facing challenges, it's not going to make those challenges magically go away. Saying that you have no challenges doesn't mean that you have no challenges it means that you are not recognising the fact that you do have challenges. And it's going to mean that the challenges are going to have a more negative effect on your life. Okay, that's, that's the fact of it. If you talk plainly and frankly about the fact that you have these circumstances, it's not going to automatically make them better. But by acknowledging the fact that you need help with something, it's going to enable you to face it with the right perspective. I want to give you some words of encouragement tonight. It's not pointing out the fact that you've got a load of bad stuff going on in your life. Thanks for coming to see you. What we're going to be talking about is the fact that you have things going on in your life and we're going to try and show you and help you as to how best face those things. I want to help you tonight to leave here better prepared and better equipped to deal what life throws at you. So let me give you some reassurance of the fact that if you're facing challenges in your life, you are firstly completely normal. If you have challenges in your life, you are firstly completely normal. Second, you are not being punished by God for a decision or choice that you made 15 years ago. You are not being punished by God for a choice or a decision that you've made in your past. Thirdly, it's not an indication that you aren't actually saved. What do I mean by that? Because there are misteachings out there that if you are a Christian, your life is perfect. And I know I dwell on this sometimes, and I talk about this sometimes. It's because that's, you know, we all have pet peeves, okay? Don't pretend you don't have a pet peeve, because I know you've all, you've all got a pet peeve. One of my pet peeves is, is very much that, that people think that. You know, because I'm a Christian, I have to pretend that everything is okay. No, you don't. Thank God that you are a Christian, because it means that the stuff that you have got going on in your life, you're going to be able to get help with. You're going to be able to get assistance with. You don't have to do that on your own. That's the benefit of being a Christian, not the fact that your life is suddenly perfect. And the fourth thing is this. It's not because you lack faith. Again, you may be being taught that, you know, oh, well, it's not, you're not, you haven't got enough faith. You know, you've been diagnosed with a bad sickness. It's because you don't have enough faith. You know, you, you're broke. Well, it's because you haven't got enough faith. That's not the truth. That's a lie. So don't ever let anybody tell you that what you're going through, any issue you're facing, is because you don't have enough faith. If you have challenges in your life, then let me tell you, you are not alone. You are with the person who sat next to you. You are with me. You are with everybody else in this room. You have challenges going on in your life. In fact, you are in very good company, or not so good company, whichever way that you actually want to look at it. I want to show you some examples of people through the Bible, okay, who have had challenges, who had challenges in their life, a whole bunch of people. And let me, let me be honest with you, this is just a very short list of what I thought of and what I found out about this morning. I'm going to skip over the obvious character flaws of Adam and Eve, because we all know those stories. I'm going to skip straight past them, and I'm going to go to the, their firstborn child, Cain. In fact, the first human being born of human beings, Cain, okay? He lived in paradise, and yet he had so many issues that he actually murdered his brother Abel. 
Sarah, Abram's wife, she spent the vast majority of her, wife, of her life unable to have children, which was a burning desire that she had. Huge challenge. Joseph had all of his brothers scheme against him, and he faced a long list of challenges. He had slavery. He was thrown in prison. He was falsely accused of rape. Challenges. Job. It's hard to think of anything about of life or any challenge that he didn't have. He lost absolutely everything. Challenges. Isaac was nearly killed by his father when he was a boy. Jacob. He faced many challenges, treated badly by those close to him, and deceived and tricked his way through his life, but was also deceived and tricked into working for his father-in-law for, for years and years and years. Samson had a disloyal wife that, that brought a whole load of problems and challenges to his life. Saul, the first king of Israel, he battled with depression, manic bursts of anger and paranoia. David, the friend of God, concealed his adultery by murdering Bathsheba's husband and had a baby boy pass away. By definition, that means that Bathsheba made the choice to marry the man that murdered her first husband. And that's not a challenging life choice, obviously. Solomon, the wisest man in the world, arguably the world's first and greatest sex addict, with over 1,000 sexual partners. Challenges. The prophet Hosea battled with the fact that his wife was an unfaithful woman that could quite easily be described as a nymphomaniac. Are you getting the picture? They're all challenges. These are all people throughout the Bible. And God recognises that fact. Because why? Because it is a part of human life. It's a part of human nature. We all face challenges. And that's just a brief list of the people in the Old Testament. Let's bring it into the New Testament. Paul. Paul in the New Testament, he faced challenge after challenge after challenge. Read the book of Acts. Count how many times he was in a spot of bother. And I tell you, it's pretty much most pages. Pretty much most, I'll just translate that into American for you, into a lot of trouble as opposed to a spot of bother. Okay, so we face challenge after challenge, and many of us know about a lot of those things in detail. One of the things we don't know about in detail was the challenge that Paul wanted God to take away. He had a thorn in his flesh, 2 Corinthians 8.10. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, in the hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You could preach on that scripture a thousand different ways, and I'm not going to do that tonight. I'm pointing out this scripture to you because I want us to focus on the fact that Paul is acknowledging that he faced insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles. This is Paul, who wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else, and who is the absolute example of a believer in Christ. Nobody told Paul that he was going through all of this stuff because he didn't have enough faith. Any believer is going to face challenges. So, what about God's promises of the plans that he has for us? Well, that's a great question, and I'm glad that you asked it. Let's look at this scripture. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know... The plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. It's a scripture that many, many people lean on, and rightly they should. It's a scripture that many pastors preach about, and again, rightly they should. 
It's used in very many messages to give a positive, uplifting message. And I'm hoping that at the end of this message, you take away the same kind of deal. But I'm not using it in the same way necessarily that I would ordinarily speak about this scripture. God's statement here is 100% clear. He has plans for you. And they are for good. And they are not for disaster. To give you future and to give you a hope, ultimately. His ultimate plans for you when all is said and done, are for good and not disaster. But he is not promising that there will be no disaster on the way. How do I know that? Well, firstly, if our lives are supposed to be perfect every step of the way, we wouldn't need God to be promising us a future and a hope. We would have no reason to require hope because we wouldn't need to be hoping for anything because we'd already be living that perfect life. We would already be living our anything out. And the second reason I know that God's plan for good are his ultimate plan is the scripture is placed and sandwiched between two other verses. The, the verse before it, Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. So God is saying... Things aren't great now. You haven't got my promises yet. But I will give you those promises. But right now, you're facing challenges. Right now, your life is not perfect. And then on the other side of that famous verse, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. Meaning what? Right then, when he's speaking to the children of Israel, they are captive. They're facing challenges. And they're broke, because he's going to restore their fortunes. So hopefully, not one person is in any doubt that challenges are a part of life that each and every one of us will face. Not continually, but repeatedly. Challenges happen to the best of us, whoever the best of us happens to be. Let me make a statement. Nothing disqualifies you from having challenges in your life, which means that when challenges come your way, it's not a result of who you are or who you aren't. People I know have said to me in the past, again, it's about the faith that you have or how godly you are or how many times you read the Bible, or, or whether or not you're in prayer. All of these things, if you're doing them, will prevent you from having anything bad happen in your life, which means if something is bad happening in your life, then by definition you're obviously not doing what you're supposed to do, which is why people will say that everything's fine and dandy when it's not fine and dandy, because they don't want to admit that anything's wrong, because if they ad admit that anything's wrong, what they're actually admitting is the fact that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And who's going to just walk into somebody and say, you know what, I'm really not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I haven't picked my Bible up so long I don't even know where it is. Prayer, what is that again? How does that, how's that Lord's, Lord's Prayer thing go? And yet, you know, I'm doing better than I was before. I mean, up to a point, but I mean, but that's not going to happen, is it? No, everyone's going to come up to you and say, yes, of course I've read the Bible plan. I've followed that HFLC Bible plan every single day of, the, of this year. Of 20, I mean, if we did a straw poll now, I guarantee you, 100% of our church has done the Bible plan. And I'm not knocking anybody. But what I'm saying to you is that we pretend that everything, we're doing everything that we should be doing. We're not going to admit there's anything wrong in our lives because then by default we are admitting that we're doing stuff wrong. That's not the case. Yeah. 
I am surrounded in my daily activities by people who I consider to be incredibly godly people. My ambition in life, when I grow up, is to be like Pastor Philip. It's to be like Robert. It's certainly to be like Miss Nancy and Mr. Dan. And I'm not messing with you. These are people that I'm around and I think, you know, I, that genuinely, I sit at my desk sometimes and I think, I am not worthy to be in this office. They're the people that I'm surrounded by. And let me tell you, every single one of us on staff or volunteers in this church have something going on. We have some issue that's going on. So don't let anyone, going off my notes here, and I apologise for that, but don't let anybody tell you that stuff's going wrong in your life because you're not all good and all holy and all righteous. Don't do that. Don't think that way. The question isn't whether or not we are going to face challenges. The question is how we are going to face them when they come. How are we going to face them when they come? The challenges are going to come. And it's not the challenges themselves that are going to dictate the outcome in our lives. It doesn't matter how bad something is. It's how we react to those challenges, which is going to uh, actually, what's the word I'm looking for? Dictate the outcome. How we react to them is what's actually going to govern the way that our life is going to go. I can look back on some of the challenges in my own life. With the benefit of hindsight, I can look at the challenges and I can see that what happened after those challenges was a direct result, not of the event itself, but what I did or didn't do at the time that the event happened. So it's how you're going to react to a circumstance and to a situation which is going to determine where you end up. Okay. I'm going to run through some suggestions for you, some how-tos. You know that we like here to give you practical steps, practical things, godly things, biblical things that you can take away and actually apply to your life. We don't believe in you coming up and turning up here on a Wednesday evening when it's freezing cold outside just to hear some Englishman waffle along and make a load of nonsense. We expect you to come here and hope that you come here and take something away that you can actually apply to your life. So tonight I'm going to run through some how-tos for you. I'm going to give you four things. Four things to do in the face of life challenges. But before that, I'm going to give you four things not to do. I'm going to give you four ways not to deal with challenges. The first thing is this. How not to deal with life challenges? Number one, angrily. You have a life challenge come along. Don't deal with it angrily. Anger is often, it's our default emotion when we're faced with a life challenge, especially if it's a big one. If it's a big one, we will get angry very quickly. Most of us have have this, and I'm going to speak with you bluntly and frankly this evening. Is that okay? Thank you, old Ryan Star. So, most of us have this innate sense of entitlement. Bear me out, listen to me. An An innate sense of entitlement that we should, that, that, we, that, that when bad things happen to us, they shouldn't have done. I'm not talking about a, a, a sense of entitlement about what I should own or what should happen for me, the good things that should happen for me. I believe that most of us have this sense of entitlement as to that bad things shouldn't happen. Bad things shouldn't happen because, because why? Because whatever it is that I tag on to the end of that. Bad things shouldn't happen because I read my Bible every day. Because I attend church every Sunday. Whatever it might be, we, we believe that we do not deserve bad things to happen to us. Because of the lives that we lead. 
Because we come to church every Sunday and Wednesday, because we pray often, and because we read the Bible every day. We feel that we don't deserve bad things to happen. Now, all of those things are important to do. You should be in church every Wednesday and Sunday. You should read your Bible every day, and you should pray consistently. Why? Because all those things are important when it comes to times of challenge. Because doing those things will equip you for the tough times. It won't help prevent the tough times happening. So by doing those things, you should be doing those things. But doing those things does not mean that you qualify for the no things are going, no bad things are going to happen to me club. You don't qualify for that by doing those things. Those things will help equip you when the bad times come, when the challenges come. If we fully grasp the fact, and it is a fact, that life challenges are not selective, none of us deserve to have them. None of us deserve to not have them. They are a part of life. The likelihood is that we won't feel quite so angry when they come along. If you get out of your brain that you don't deserve something bad to happen to you, when something bad happens to you, you're not going to be quite so angry. Why? Because a lot of that anger is fueled by frustration. And where does frustration come? Frustrations come when our expectations are not met. If my expectation is my life is going to be perfect, I walk out in the car park and I've got a flat tyre, I'm going to be not best pleased. But if I understand the fact that bad things are going to happen to me and every now and again I'm going to get a flat tyre on my car, I'm not going to bounce up and down and sing praise hallelujah I've got a flat tyre when I walk out there, but I'm also not going to kick the side panel. Okay, so then I don't have to pay for a flat tyre and my panel on my car to be fixed. Do you understand where I'm coming from? If your expectations are different, now I'm not saying to you, expect the worst. But I am saying to you, don't expect your life to be perfect. Allow the fact that good, the bad things happen to people, period. Bad things happen, you've heard it phrased, oh, bad, bad things happen to good people. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because bad things happen to people. Bad things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. That's life, and it's not that complex. So don't please, don't, please don't be surprised when a bad things happen to you if you're a good person. Okay? The good person will show themselves by what they do when the bad thing happens. That's when you're going to be able to make a difference. Why shouldn't we get angry? Why shouldn't we get angry? Simple question that has a simple answer. James 1.20. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. But you don't understand. You don't understand. Yes, I do understand. Trust me, I've gotten angry more than once. At least twice in my life. I mean, of course I've gotten angry. I get angry when things don't go right. When bad things happen, I get angry. When I've been faced with a challenge. I'm in the same boat as you. We're all the same here. I can tell you that I understand. I can tell you that anger is the default emotion and response for a lot of people. It's the natural response. Sometimes it's the only response we have because we can't think of how else to react. So we get angry. We get angry because we don't know how to react. So I understand. I really, truly understand. But if you get angry, then get angry. But if you get angry, don't stay angry. Don't stay angry. Psalm 37, 8. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Which implies what? You had the rage in the first place. So, but turn from it. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. It only, it only 
leads to harm. It only leads to harm. In other words, it won't lead to anything but harm. Nine times out of ten, it's going to be you that is harmed by it in one way or another. Second way, not to deal with challenges. Apathetically. Don't deal with challenges apathetically. What does that mean? It means that when something challenging happens in your life, don't do nothing. Don't roll over and die. Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't pretend like it's not happening. If there's something that you can do to rectify the situation, rectify it. If there's a conversation that needs to take place, have the conversation. If there's nothing you can do to change the situation, do something to control your response to it. Whatever the right thing is, don't avoid doing the right thing. You know, sometimes the right thing to do is to apologise. Sometimes the right thing to do is admit to yourself that you did something wrong. Sometimes the right thing to do is to admit to somebody else that you did something wrong. Sometimes you have to admit you made a mistake. And based on what the situation is, sometimes what you have to do is grieve. But whatever the right thing to do is, do it. Don't not do it. Think about what the right response is and do it proactively. And if you don't know what the right thing to do is, here's what the right thing to do is. Think about and find out what the right thing to do is. So you're always doing something. It's just making sense. You're proactive. You're not just giving up. You're not just holding your hands up. You're not just saying, oh, well, something bad happened. That's it. It's all over. Goodness me, how many people in this room could have done that in August? How many people did that in August? Let me tell you my experience. Zero. None of the people I know that were affected by the floods rolled over and died. Yes, there was anger. Yes, there was frustration. Yes, there was a lot of tears. And there still are. Yes, there is anger and yes, there is frustration. But you know what I saw and what I witnessed is everybody was proactive. Everybody was doing something. And then there came a phase after five or six days where people just didn't know what to do. So what did they do? They found out what to do. And they went and they did it. And that's what it is that I'm talking about. Don't be apathetic. When something comes, a bad thing happens to you, you're not going to necessarily be able to correct it. I understand. But how you act and respond to it, you have control over. So be proactive with that. The third way, not to deal with challenges. Ashamedly. Ashamedly. Now, I touched on this briefly in my last message on how to change. Shame is one of the biggest weapons that the enemy uses against us. So often in our lives, it's not the what has happened to us that the enemy will use against us. It's how we feel about it and how we respond to it. That's what Satan will do. He wants to isolate you. And the best way that he can isolate you or have you isolate yourself, which is a better point, is by making you feel ashamed about a situation. There may be a bad thing happened to you because of a choice or a decision that you made. You may have done something, frankly, quite stupid. And that's come back to bite your bum. That might be the situation. It might have come and turned right around to you. And you might be now in a situation because of a choice you made, something that you shouldn't have done, something that you're a bit ashamed about. It could be a decision that one of our children has made. It could be a decision that our spouse has made. It could be something that we just don't want to admit has happened. 
We need to remember that the enemy is going to try and use that to stop you from doing what it is that you need to do, to stop you from being proactive. Okay? We need to remember that and focus on this, even when we find it hard to believe because of how we think God should feel. Romans 8.1. So now, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. God isn't judging you for it. God isn't holding it against you, no matter what it is that you've done. And he's the one that we need to be answering to. Not the people next door. Not what am, I going, what am my family going to think. I understand it can sting when people are judging you. But you know what? If they're judging you, then they're not the kind of people that you need to be interested or bothered about their opinion anyway. And I'm not trying to be all holy-roly with this. I'm saying to you, you have to understand who it is that you answer to. Because if you, if you understand who it is that you answer to, you aren't going to give a care about what other people say about you. Keeping something to ourselves because of guilt or shame is going to make us withdraw. It's going to make us withdraw from other people, and it's going to make us withdraw from God, which is exactly what the devil wants us to do. Just as we become stronger by working through a challenge and coming out of the other side, so we become weaker when we don't do those things. You're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. You're moving forward or you're moving backward. You are never standing still. You're always moving in one direction. The thing that the devil wants least in my life is a Pete that is shame-free. It's not a perfect Pete, because that will never happen in this lifetime. But a Pete that is not held back by guilt or shame of the things that have gone wrong in my life or the things that I've done in my life, of which there are plenty of things. Satan doesn't want a Pete or a Molly or a Kelly or a Robert who is shame-free, who is guilt-free. Because that is exactly what it is that, that, that the devil fears. Because that's his biggest weapon, is the shame that is going to hold us back. I have none. Now, would I have done things differently if I had my time over again? Quite probably, in lots of different ways. But I don't carry a burden of guilt or shame at all. Because Jesus Christ took that from me the moment I was saved. And he took it from you the moment you were saved. And I, and I know I've used the analogy before of the backpack with the stones in it. You're holding on to stuff that you don't need to be holding on to. You're holding on to stuff that God doesn't want you to be holding on to. You have no right holding on to it. But it's that that the enemy is going to use against you. Because you're going to withdraw, like I said. You're going to withdraw from God and you're going to withdraw from people. Which leads me on to the fourth thing that you're not to do when faced by challenges. Don't face them alone. Do not face your challenges alone. Don't face them alone from God and don't face them alone from other people. Sometimes a problem that we face is so big in our own eyes, we can't even see how to go about dealing with it. By definition of the fact that it's our challenge, it's impossible for us to look at it objectively or even necessarily to see it for what it actually is. Quite often something which is crippling you is not that big of a deal. And that's not minimising your problem or situation. What I'm saying to you is, is there may be a solution to it that you can't see. Why? Because you're in it. You're in the thick of it. But somebody on the outside looking in may be able to see something completely different from a different perspective. Now, again, don't do it alone. Do not tell everybody about every single detail of your life. I will add that caveat. Okay? Be careful and selective about who it is that you're speaking to. But tell Someone. Speak to somebody. Even if it's just to get it off your chest. Share 
Because let me tell you this, you can have conversations with people and I can have a conversation with someone. I can be getting something off of my chest. I might have a situation or a problem that I need to solve and I might be talking to this person and telling them what the situation is and whilst I'm doing that, my brain's turning over, I'm hearing myself speak and then I just, never mind, I've got it. Because when I'm talking it through and I'm actually thinking, then the answer will drop on me. So maybe this person here, who I thought I was going to for confidential help and advice, might not even open their mouth. They might be standing there scratching their head thinking, he's crazy. <laughs> they wouldn't be far from the truth. But do you, you see what I'm saying? Would you have to share with somebody, select somebody, be careful who it is. Now, if you don't have a someone, find someone. And if you can't find someone, come and see me. Or Pastor Philip, or Robert, somebody on our pastoral team. Come and see us, sit down with us. Come and sit with us. If you do that, I can guarantee you several things. I can guarantee you three things. Confidentiality. I can guarantee you zero judgment and I can guarantee you the truth if you come and see us. Now, if you've got no one to speak to, speak to us. I, get, I, tell you, I was reminded of this the other evening. I was at home the other evening and I put Elijah down to bed, came out of the bedroom and Molly said, I need you to come over here. We've got some friends who had just, she had just told Molly that they, they're getting separated. So she'd asked for us to pray for them. So my first words to Molly were, well, why, why are we only finding out now? Why are they asking for prayer now when, they're actually, when she's packing the bags to leave? Why were they not asking for help six months ago when the trouble first started or a year ago, whenever it might have been? They wait, they've waited until, they're now praying for reconciliation when it may have been that we could have helped them to not get to this state in the first place. So talk to people. When you have a problem or a situation, talk to somebody before it becomes a crisis. Because, you know, we can help you with a crisis, but we can help you far better with a problem. Because there's a big difference between the two. Okay? So don't be frightened to talk about it when it's what you consider to be a small thing. I, I live for the day when somebody comes to see me with a small thing. I mean, I'd be, I'd be glad of the relief of somebody coming, oh, is that, was that it? I, that, that, that's it? Yes, thanks. Awesome. They're crazy. Okay? But you see what I'm saying? We have, to, we have to find somebody to speak to. And I know I'm joking about it, but it's so important because the devil wants you to be isolated. He wants you out on your own. Why? Because if you're out on your own, you're weaker that way. Look at this, Ecclesiastes 4.12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. What is that scripture saying? It's saying don't be on your own. If you're on your own, you're open for attack. Okay. So as I said, find somebody. So I'm now going to look briefly at four things that you should be doing in the face of a life challenge. Four things. First thing, how to deal with life challenges. Number one, pray. Pray. Prayer is the first and most important thing that we can do when we're faced with life challenges. Philippians 4, 6, 7 tells us this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Praying about a situation helps us to consciously remember that God is in control. And we're not. That's what praying does. It helps us to hand it over to him. It says, you know what, God, I know I'm not going to manage this in my own strength. Thank you for being there so I can use your strength. That's what prayer is about. 
Let me take you back to the scripture we looked at earlier on in the book of Jeremiah. 29.11, Jeremiah 29.11, Remember, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. There's no slide for this, just in case Megan's going crazy on the back there. All right, we established that. When God was talking about these plans, he was talking to people who were already facing a challenge. They were in a bad place. He talks of his plans, and then he makes the promise that I showed you, this promise. It says, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. So, just to summarize this, he says, you're in a bad place right now. I have plans for you for hope and a future. And then he says that he he is going to basically be there. He's going to be with you. You are going to find me. But between all of that, there's these scriptures that I didn't read you before. Jeremiah 29, 12, 13. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So, the whole story is this. You're in a bad place right now. I've got plans for you. You pray, you will find me. And I am going to make everything okay. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jeremiah is talking about. That's the whole promise that God is making to you. Yes, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a powerful, powerful verse. I'm not minimizing that in any way, shape and form. And whenever you hear that as an encouraging scripture, you hold on to that because it's truth. But I believe, and this was given to me this morning, that the whole of that scripture, all of those verses, they make that even more special. Because he's saying, you're in a bad place right now. I've got plans for you. Pray. And those plans will come to fruition. So firstly, pray. Secondly, praise. Praise. That's how you deal with challenges. Praise. Am I supposed to praise God when something bad happens to me? Well, ideally, yes. Ideally, yes. In reality, you probably won't want to do that. Again, It won't necessarily be easy for me to go out there with a flat tyre on my car in the freezing cold and the dark and say, thank you, God. I love you so much for this flat tyre. You know, I loved you before this flat tyre, God, but now it's a whole new level. It's going to be a little hard, right? So I'm not talking, that's the ideal scenario. You're going to praise him because of the the thing, because ultimately speaking, and, and being detached for a moment, you should be praising him for things that come along. Because why? Because they make you stronger. When you come out of the other side of something, you're always better for it. So yes, you could, if I'm being super holy-roly, say yes, you should be praising him for every bad thing that happens in your life. But the reality is that might not happen. However, it doesn't matter what's happening to you in your life at any point in time. God is God and God is good. And that's why you're praising God. Irrespective of what's going on in your life, you are praising God for being God, for who God is. So you praise through. And let me tell you what that does for you. It keeps things in perspective. Because yes, if I've got a flat tyre out there, I can praise him that I've got a car in the first place. I can praise him that I've got a home to drive back to once I've changed my tyre, which is only going to take me 15 minutes. I can praise him for the fact that I'm fit and strong enough to actually lift the car up on the jack and take the wheel off in the first place. I can praise him, praise him, praise him. And that's what we're to do. It keeps things in the right perspective. Number three, the third thing you need to do when dealing with challenges is protect. Protect? Protect what? Protect yourself 
and protect those around you. Ephesians 6, 10, 12, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty powers. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. As I've already covered, the enemy is going to do all he can to use the challenges you face and the way you are thinking about those challenges against you in any and every way that he can. He's going to be looking for areas of weakness to exploit, and that includes your own spiritual and mental well-being. If you are in a weak spot, spiritually or emotionally, it can lead you to be making choices that you could make the situation worse than it already is. Or even create a brand new challenge that's worse than the first one. Guard yourself. Stand firm against the enemy. Not just for yourself, but for those around you. What do I mean by that? The way that you react to a challenging situation is going to be seen by those around you. I'm not talking about putting on a fake face for everybody. Again, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about guarding yourself of how you act around those that you influence. Or who are counting on you and following you especially your children, especially your kids. They see everything. They are sensitive to everything. And they are not going to understand everything. They're not going to understand what the situation is that you are reacting to. They're just going to see how you are reacting. And that can distress, that can upset, that can scar for a long time. And I'm not making too big of a deal. I'm saying protect, protect, protect yourself, protect how you let your mind race, where you let your mind go. Protect yourself and protect the people around you, the people that you care for. Elijah's three years of age. He should not have a clue when bad things are happening in my life. He shouldn't have a clue when the bad things are happening. Protect them. Because they can, as I said, be easily affected for a long time. The last thing on my list of things to do when, you should face, when you're facing a challenge is this. Prevent. Look to prevent. Prevent what? Well, there are things in life that are going to happen to you that you could not stop happening. That you couldn't prevent happening. There are also some things that maybe wouldn't have happened if you'd done something differently. Now, I'm not talking necessarily whilst you're in the thick of a situation. I'm not talking about analysing something immediately as it's happened because you've got to go through the whole being angry thing first, right? You've got to go through all the emotions and things first. But what I'm talking about is once the dust has settled, take a look and ask yourself, could I have done something differently to prevent this from happening in the first place? Okay? And then based on whatever answer that is, ask yourself, is there anything I can do now to prevent that from happening to me again? So you're thinking about prevention. And then you go one step further. Can I do something which is going to prevent this from happening to somebody else? So you're looking to do what? To bring good out of the bad situation. You are looking to turn what the enemy meant for harm to good. You are looking to spin it around. You're looking to take a a bad seed, so to speak, and bear good fruit from it. And that, is what's going to separate you from the crowd. That's going to what's going to separate you as a believer from a non-believer. Because you're not going to have a pity party. You're not going to be dwelling in it. And you're not going to be rolling in it. You are going to instead, yes, deal with it as best you can. And you're not going to be successful all the time. 
but at least you're going to then look at what you can do to prevent it from happening to you or to anybody else. We need to do all we can do, as I said, to stop these things from happening over and over again. And we're going to try and make sure that the opposite happens, whatever is possible. Look at this scripture. And this is where it comes from when we talk about turning, God taking what, what, what the enemy meant for harm. It's kind of a play on this scripture because this scripture actually is Joseph talking to his brothers. Okay, he's now, he's now Pharaoh, he's now Lord and King of the land and his, and his brothers have come to him and they're actually asking for help when they don't even know who it is that he is. So they find out who he is. And he could quite easily have just had them all executed for what it is that they did to him. But he doesn't do that. What he says to them instead is, so he's had challenges. We established that already. Lots of challenges in his life. Yes, thrown in a pit, slavery, false rape accusations, prison, treated badly by his brothers, given up for dead, lied to about their father, or to their father, I should say. So he's had challenges. But here's what he says to his brothers. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of of many people. Now I'm going to talk to you now about an incredibly sensitive and powerful situation. And I'm going to really bring and hit this home and this is not for dramatic effect people. This is a prime example to you of taking a very, very bad situation, a challenging life situation and turning it into good. Miss Nancy's son and I asked her permission earlier on today to speak about this. Miss Nancy and Mr. Dan lost their son in a horrific car accident recently. Their son died as a direct result of another driver driving into their son's car. And there's every evidence that he was texting while he was driving. Now we actually spoke about this first thing this morning. Miss Nancy and I had had previous conversations about it. We had somebody else come into the church and we spoke to them about it. And this is before my message was written. And I'd gotten all the way through my message. And then I had that come in my mind about turning harm to good. And I went to the scripture. And you know what? This is the first time I've seen he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And it hit me there and then. And I said to Miss Nancy, Miss Nancy, would you mind if I spoke about Dennis this evening? And I explained to her what it is that I was going to be saying. And she said no. And she cried a little. Because the conversation that she and I had already had this morning was this. That if she is able to stop one person from texting on their phone while they're driving, then she's going to do what she can for that. So I'm here this evening as her mouthpiece. And this is something I'm already very passionate about. Ask my wife. Dennis, we have to pull good from that harm, that heartbreak, that life challenge that Mr. Dan and Miss Nancy are going through incredibly admirably. I have to tell you, I'm blown away by them, the way that they're handling it. But we have to turn that situation. I'm I'm not being morbid. I'm being encouraging. How exciting would it be further down the road from now, to know, not that we ever would, but that somebody else did not go through what Dennis went through. Because every person in this church stopped texting while they're driving. Turning harm to good. 
turning harm to good. So stop texting while you're driving, people. And again, I've said that before, and that's something I'm passionate about. Okay. So let's summarise what we've been talking about this evening. We're going to be looking at this, how not to deal with challenges. We don't deal with them angrily. We don't deal with them apathetically. We don't deal with them ashamedly. And we do not deal with them alone. If there's nothing else you take from tonight, if you're facing a situation right now and you have nobody to talk to, find somebody. It can absolutely change your life. It can change the outcome for you. There are testimonies that I'm looking out at and I can see people out in this room that I know their lives were changed by a conversation, by a a sharing a situation. And how to deal with challenges? We pray, we praise, we protect and we prevent. Amen? Amen. If you bow your heads right where you're at, that'd be great. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.